Look, you don't need to put an addition on your house. Although, actually, that's probably because someone else already did. But the fact remains that mid-century homes were meant for an addition. They all were. They were built intentionally snug and small. Way back when, first-time homebuyers were excited mostly about four walls and a roof. They weren't trying to buy a mansion. But they still wanted possibility and promise. And they got it. You've got it, too. So if you've been wondering if you might want to add on a little space to your mid-century home, yeah, you might. And it's easier than you might think. So let's discuss. Hey there. Welcome back to Mid-Mom Remodel. This is the show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to episode 1405. So today I get to talk about a topic that's been on my mind a lot lately. Not every mid-century master plan that we take on here at Mid-Mom Midwest needs or wants additional space. But we've run through two great small edition projects in a row recently, and then last week I got to talk to three more mid-century homeowning couples that are thinking about the pros and cons of adding on to their homes. It's basically always on my mind, and there are some really fun possibilities to consider when you think about extending the footprint of a mid-century home. So if you're excited to hear me get into some design ideas and anecdotes about adding on to mid-century homes, oh, and share a handy checklist of things you should consider before you add on, I've got some great news for you. This episode is just the tip of the iceberg, and I'm going to be going quite a lot deeper on that iceberg at a special topic clinic a week from Saturday. The Mid-Century Additions Clinic is going to explore everything you might want to consider when planning a small or large bump out for your mid-mod home. How to make the most of your budget, how to figure out what's allowed, how to find for a timeless design that will make the house work better but kind of feel like it's always been there. In this two-hour live workshop, I will take you through the addition thought process from start to finish. We'll figure out if your plans, your dreams, your wishes are feasible. Plus, you can ask me your questions about your addition. I always set aside as much time as is needed for a Q&A after these design clinics, so you can ask me about your side yard setbacks, your roof overhangs, or your foundation, and I'll give you this architect's expert opinion. The class is going to be live on Zoom on Saturday, October 14th at 11 a.m., and I highly recommend you do show up live, but if you can't, enroll anyway. The recording will be available for your viewing or reviewing pleasure once the live event is done. And even better, if you sign up before the end of this weekend, you can get your ticket for just $37. A steal. Plus, I made you a handy free resource to get you going by asking yourself some necessary pre-edition questions using this episode and the matching free PDF of my brand new Do I Want an Edition checklist. Grab it at the link in the show notes, that's midmod-midwest.com slash 1405, or go straight to midmod-midwest.com slash edition to download your checklist. Here's the thing. I'm not always the first to recommend adding on to a home to make it work better. Bigger isn't always better, after all, and sometimes you can do a lot, enough, to improve your livable area by reconfiguring what you already have. Perhaps too small isn't your problem. Perhaps your problem is awkward layout or not enough storage. But even though it's much cheaper to reconfigure what you've got going on than create a new roof and a new foundation system, there are sometimes needs to move outside the house. Like I said at the top, your mid-century home was meant for an addition. The earliest all 
really the most affordable homes of the mid-century era were extremely small. And that was by design. Um, homes were much more affordable as a percentage of income in that era because people weren't really set up to borrow very much in order to acquire one. The modern 30-year mortgage, pretty much the default these days, didn't exist until it was created by Act of Congress in the 50s. That was, not coincidentally, the year that homes here in Madison and I'm sure around the country really jumped up in default size and possibility and amenities. You can see it very clearly in the literature for the parade of homes that we had here in Madison from 1952 on. That first parade of homes in 52 showcased 18 intensely modest ranch homes. They were priced between $11,000 and $17,000. Just let that blow your mind for a minute. Over in the Devolis Park area outside the Beltline here in Madison, if you want to go check them out. Only a few of these houses had attached garages, even though they were show houses. Um, many had just two bedrooms. There's some fantastic text in the advertising pamphlet. One of these houses is bragging up the, quote, large handsome mirror above the basin in the bathroom as a key feature. That's what they wanted to tell you about. There's a mirror in the bathroom. That's an amenity in 1952. Each year of the parade, there's a new pamphlet that you can still go check out. Um, I have some of them photographed and documented. I could put this in my Instagram story if anyone's curious. But you can see the houses, the amenities growing. And 1954 was the watershed year because that was the first year that two-car two garages were introduced in Madison. And at that point, just a few of the houses had a luxurious second bathroom. These expansions then accelerated in 1954 with the new housing law aimed to make buying more affordable. So the 1955 Parade of Home had a couple of split levels, some four-bedroom houses or a home with a master suite. They had a separate den and living room in a number of the houses and a powder bath for guests rather than uh, everyone using the family bathroom. But even though those show houses had increased in size and value, not every house was so grand. The majority of early and even later mid-century houses were just two bedrooms or two beds, uh, three beds, but one bathroom, extremely small, all of them. So over the year, it's been very common for people to push out at the front or the back of the house to make space for an additional bedroom or to make a little extra space for one of the bedrooms to become more private, to create an owner suite separate from the family bathroom and used by everyone else. My own neighborhood is a perfect example about the way mid-century homes started out modest and then grew. Now, this isn't a tract neighborhood. Each of the houses was purchased by an individual contractor developer, built and sold, and then another one, another lot was purchased. But it did start out all at the same time as a field in 1950, farmland, and then the streets were uh, platted, the lots divided, and the series of small-time developers rushed in to create an array of modest two- and three-bedroom ranch homes without garages. When it was built, each home was a slight variation on the same sort of 28-foot wide by 40-foot long rectangle of a house with an additional... 24 by 12 single car garage that popped up not at the same time the house was built, but within a couple of years, sometimes attached, but usually attached without the, uh, without a walkthrough from the garage to the house itself. You had to go around and they all had roughly the same interior layout, kitchen, dining, L, uh, living room in one side and then family bathroom and two or three bedrooms on the other side of the house. Only a very few of the earliest ones are the earliest ones had a garage. Later, they had a little bit more garage likelihood. My own home didn't have a garage when it was built. You can see from the original paint color that exists only on the wall above the breezeway. But you can see how the garage was added on very early. And then the 
second pink color of the house, which was put on at the time of the addition of the garage, went in. Over the years, though, you can see the plethora of addition options that happened by looking at the Google Maps flyover of the area. There's not a series of tidy rectangles anymore, but a host of different letters, an L pushing a bedroom or a living space backwards, another L pushing the kitchen forward, and C or a Z. As I record this, the neighbor three houses down has thrown a new addition into their backyard. I'm guessing it's an owner suite, but it could be an increased den. I'll have to introduce myself to find out. Extroverting. But the bottom line is that the sturdy construction, the simple roof line and the single story setup with basement here in the Midwest, make it really easy to add on in multiple directions to a mid-century house. The best effect can be achieved by pushing out to the back, in my opinion, because you often have front setbacks to deal with and you can create a more generous master suite or a backyard connecting family space. You can also tune the way the house feels private in the backyard by creating a nook of interior privacy, cutting off uh, your least sightly neighbor or a view line you don't like or the hot Western sun. A number of things can come up. So if you're thinking about is an addition right for my home? Let's talk about some of the considerations you might want to go through before you get there. First off, you should confirm, do you really need one? I know the topic of the episode is additions, but before committing yourself to expand your house, think about repurposing the other spaces in your home. You want to take stock of what you already have, how you are or are not using it, You may well need an addition, but you might be able to control how large that addition is too by looking for other space, the low-hanging fruit around your area. Here's a handful of things you might think about before actually adding on new roof and foundation, new footprint to your house. In the Midwest, think about your basement. Most Midwestern houses have a basement. It's a good idea to leave some portion of the basement unfinished. People like to have storage there and there's some utilities, but... Typical basements have an equal amount of space to the floor above, so finishing the basement of a one-story house could literally double your square footage with no extra additional space. You could create another bedroom, a project room, a guest space, computer room. We spent a lot of time this summer talking about the possibilities of finishing basements and making them really pleasant. You could also think about if your house, like mine, had a breezeway separation between the home and the garage, filling in that space. Filling in any space that has roof line and possibly foundation, but not finished walls, can be a very easy way to create added space without a major construction project. For those of us who are DIYers, it's much easier to DIY and infill space under an existing roof than it is to build a footing, a foundation, new walls, and a roof onto a house. That's more of a general contractor project, so you can give yourself more personal flexibility by thinking small. You can also think about converting unconditioned areas. So if you have a covered porch, a three-season porch, any kind of um, semi-indoor-outdoor space, turning that into insulated finished space takes some work, but can again be much simpler to do. And then finally, the halfway step to an addition is rather than creating a new roof line, think about expanding out. If you have an overhanging, a deep eaved roof house, think about expanding just to the edge of the existing roof line. Now, the walls won't be as protected there from rain drip as they are in the parts of the house that are more tucked in under the roof, but you might be able to get away without a change to your roof line, which will save you time, money, and expense. The second factor, once you've considered that, yes, you do need a remodel, you need to know what you're allowed. Check for your house's rules. 
check for your zoning district. In your home's zoning, how much square footage you're allowed to have. What are your lot lines and what are the setbacks created in your area for your house? You may often find that your house is right up against its front setback, for example. Particularly if you walk down the sidewalk in your neighborhood and all of the houses seem to be the exact same distance from the street, they're probably all up against their front setback line. But in a mid-century neighborhood, you typically have some room at the sides of the house to push out and quite a bit of space to push out towards your backyard. So you have the ability to uh, expand, but only up against the boundaries of the buildable area on your lot. Now, variances exist, but you may be surprised how complex they are to get your hands on one. So what you definitely want to think about in this case is know your rules before you start, figure out right away. And you can do this by calling your local planning desk. What is the zoning designation for your home and what are the setbacks and what is your lot? So you can kind of map out what are the areas you could color in if you're going to color within the lines for an addition. And when we're thinking about what's possible, what's legal, what's doable for your house, you want to think about its structural realities as well. How complicated is your house? Does it have a basement, a crawl space, or a slab underneath the living area? What's that foundation made out of? Is it blocks or poured foundation? Is your house stick frame made out of two by fours that support the roof? Or does it have a post and beam structure? Knowing the major structure considerations of your house and what kind of shape it's in will give you an idea of how complex or simple it might be to put an addition off the house. And particularly for those people who have a post and beam structure, your posts and beams are designed to carry the load of your existing roof. So you may need to think about bringing in a structural engineer to help you ensure that you can push out and you can connect to existing beam lines um, or pick up additional weight on existing edge of house columns without re-engineering the entire house. This kind of research isn't exactly fun, but it's necessary to check off and you can do more or less of it by having a few simple conversations. And again, start by just calling your local planning department and asking, maybe it's even better to go in and meet someone at the desk, asking what seems possible to them. Now, the third thing I want you to think about as you're considering, do you want to have an addition is, How many birds can you feed with one scone? You might also have heard this phrase, kill two birds with one stone, but that's a horrible thing to do and also sounds hard. Let's feed birds with a scone instead. Basically, what I'm talking about here is how can you get the effort, the trouble, the expense of an addition to do as many different things for you as possible? For example, um, when you're pushing out an addition into part of your yard. If you're changing your house from a rectangle into an L or from an L to a C or an S or a Z, what are you going to get not just from the finished interior space, but what are you also going to get around the edge of the house by creating those new shapes? You might be able to create a much better patio, deck, or covered porch by enclosing part of your backyard with an L-shaped addition. One of my favorite things about my backyard, even though my house has never had an addition, is that both of my neighbors have backyard projecting additions, which kind of create for them a private courtyard in their yards and create for me a courtyard out of my entire yard because they didn't put a lot of windows facing into my yard on their additions. You want to think about how many different types of use you can get out of the space. New square footage is always going to be somewhat expensive in your time, energy, and 
attention. So what can you do to make the most of that as you go through the process? How multifunctional can that space be? You're building this from scratch. How much can it enhance the beauty of your home? How much can it enhance your daily lived experience? Now, when you're thinking about an addition, you want to ask yourself, how much is enough? You don't want to go to the trouble and expense of an addition only to find out that it wasn't big enough to do the things you wanted. But this is where I always want to sing a song about how bigger isn't always better. I often see people contemplating additions where they're nearly doubling the size of their home or they're adding on a lot relative to their existing square footage. New additions, especially tacked onto a room with relatively small spaces, can end up feeling kind of cavernous and cold. So you want to think about how you're adding on in proportion to the spaces you have right now and make sure that you are getting the tiniest addition that works. Now, sometimes that is, like we said, pushing out under the additional roof line. In some cases, uh, you could try an Oreo window, which is a little bit bigger than a projecting picture window. It doesn't have a footing underneath it. It simply projects out from the existing structure of the house. Um, in some cases, you can use this to get away with being up against a lot line. Uh, building into a setback may be prevented if you wanted to add a foundation that goes down to the ground. But in one case, I was able to help a client who was up against their front setback, but had such a tight kitchen and eating space. We were able to free up just a little bit of room by pushing the seating area for the dining table into an oriel window. So just the bench stuck out with headroom and enough space to sit, which gave more room for the table to be shunted off to one side by a crucial 18 inches, which gave enough space to walk past it and have enough room to have a real dining table next to the snug but better kitchen. The tiniest addition is still an addition and it has a transformative power to make the space better. Or maybe you need an addition the size of a room or several rooms. The point is, always workshop yourself to figure out how you can Goldilocks in to the exact right size of space. One more thing to think about is how low will you go? Now, this depends on where you are and what you have. If you live in the Midwest and you have a basement under your house, you have options. You could choose to create a new addition, which is more basement space, digging out just as far as you have. Then you might create basement space as well as main floor space in your additional square footage. On the other hand, it might be simpler, cheaper, less excavation. Rather than excavating an entire basement, needing to remove all of that fill, perhaps you don't need space in the basements as much as you need space upstairs. You could think about just putting a crawl space under addition. Another thing to consider is perhaps your addition doesn't need that type of foundation at all, but could be a slab on grade construction. And that might give you an important ability to step down. You're usually going to find you might have some more exaggerated terrain, but in flat areas, you're usually going to find that the main floor of the house is a foot to 18 inches higher than the ground plane outside of the house. Now, that's great because it keeps dirt and debris out. But it also gives you the opportunity to have a higher ceiling in your addition space without having a higher roof line. If you step down from an eight foot ceiling kitchen, stepped out 18 inches into your den, which is built out at grade level and walk straight out onto a beautiful patio. Not only do you have a better connection to the patio beyond, but you also have a nine foot six ceiling space in there without vaulting a roof. So there can be a bunch of different fun things to consider in terms of how deeply you dig out your addition. One more thing to consider. 
Uh, and we just pitched this to a client that I am very excited to hear their response to. But you can also think about in certain terrains, thinking about a half level addition. Perhaps your addition isn't at the grade of the main floor, the backyard, or the basement, but it splits the difference. Particularly if you have some comfortable living space in your basement already, what if a small addition just allowed you to connect that basement space better to the house? Do one or two things on its own. In the case of this client, they really wanted not quite a sunroom, it faces the north, but a garden room that connected them better to their backyard. Now, there are several additions we suggested that are simply rooms off the main floor that give them a little bit more green space, plant space, dining space. But my favorite solution is the one set halfway between the main height of the house and its basement that lets them flow smoothly down into their existing basement den and really connect that space to the rest of the house. This can be a magical uh, shoot for the moon example when it's possible. So keep an eye out for where that might be the right solution for you. And the final thing I want you to make sure you're considering when you're thinking about addition is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, sweetheart. When you're making an addition, you want that addition to be the most minimalist box it can be. Windows, sure, placed where they should be. uh, And it'll need a heating system, an air conditioning system. But if you can possibly keep plumbing out of the new area and in your existing footprint, you will keep your remodel much simpler. In cases where you have a bedroom and you're planning to add on and create an owner suite out of that bedroom, I always recommend you push the new bedroom out into the addition and keep the bathroom in the footprint of the existing house, in the spot where the former bedroom was, so that the two bathrooms, I'm assuming an existing shared bathroom at the center of the space, that can share plumbing, shorter runs, and you can keep the new owner suite bathroom over the existing basement or crawl space, whatever's going on in the existing foundation of the house, such that your new space is the most simple, cheap to construct as possible. So you can spend your money on beautiful windows and built-ins rather than on extra complex plumbing basics. All right, so those are some of the things I want you to think about to wonder, should you have an addition at all and how can you make it cool? Let's think about a few more add-on factors to make a really cool addition. How will it connect to the shape of the existing house? Think about how your roof line will match or contrast with the roof line of the existing house. If you have gable ends, you might want a gable end addition, and that gives you the opportunity to think about a vaulted ceiling. But if the whole rest of the house has a hip gable design, you might want to choose a hip gable for the addition roof so that it feels tied in with the rest of it. You might want to connect by matching or by modifying the materiality of the house. If your existing house is brick, you'll have a hard time matching the quality and uh, color of original mid-century brick. So you'll probably think about your addition being finished in siding or stucco or some other exterior material. If your house has its original mid-century siding, you might be able to closely match the shape and then paint it all a matching color. Or you might choose to reside not just the addition, but some amount of the existing house as well, keeping some of the existing siding intact, but creating a purposeful transition from old to new, kind of marrying the two together. As I said in the point about how you can make the most, how you can feed more than one bird with one, with one scone, think about how you can get bonus functionality out of your space. 
If you're thinking about a full basement under your addition, will that be more storage space or more living space? If you're thinking about an addition that pushes out towards your backyard, how will it be not just its own enclosed space, but how will it connect to the indoor-outdoor living spaces around? And do you have the opportunity to create more privacy by cutting off a view you don't love, or even create a microclimate by creating a sunny south-facing wall or blocking out hot western sun? How can you connect the spaces better? As I said before, is this the time to move the stairs in your house while you're doing a fairly major change? Is this the time to, while you're getting in contractor level construction, make changes to the kitchen, add other plumbing that's not related to the addition itself? This might be the chance to bundle all the things together into a complex process that's going to make the whole house better, not just bigger. So to recap, if you're thinking of an addition, I want you to make sure that you consider one, that you really do need an addition. Two, know what are the rules of your house. What are the regulations for your property, zoning, and lot? And what's going on with the house itself? How simple would this structure to add on be? I want you to feed as many birds with one scone as you can. How can you use design thinking to make more space go further and to get more benefits than just the added square footage? And do ask yourself, how much is enough? What's the smallest possible addition you can create that still creates benefit in your life? Make sure you've asked yourself how low you want to and need to go. Are you including a basement, a crawl space, a slab? Are you splitting the levels? And keep your whole addition as simple as possible, sweetheart, by keeping plumbing out of the space and keeping the most simple construction you can. Rather than a Tetris nest of different levels stepping out, try to create a simple rectangle attached to your simple rectangle for a simple L, C, or Z shape. Um, you can have fun with your outdoor spaces and think about your patio and connections, but a simple roof line in particular is going to stand you in good stead. You can grab the free PDF recap of just those things I've mentioned at the show notes page, 1405, or go directly to midmod-midwest.com slash additions. Do Pasco and collect $200 by signing up to join me for the Mid-Century Editions Clinic happening a week from Saturday. Grab your seat for the early bird price before the end of this weekend at midmod-midwest.com slash clinic. Honestly, you don't want to miss it. I'm going to talk about how to pick the perfect spot for your extra space, how to use my Mid-Century Edition dreaming exercise to clarify what you're trying to get out of this, what a dream home means for you and your family the tools you'll need to grab those keystone measurements and key factors like zoning, setback, and structure so you can get real about what's possible and inexpensive for you, strategies that I always share for sifting your Instagram and Pinterest saves for maximum effect so you can create a style guide to keep the look of your edition timeless, not trendy, and simplify every planning decision you make. Plus, I'll walk you through the principles of a great mid-century edition with real-world examples from mid-century homes that I have remodeled and planned editions for, three of each, of course. And finally, what it means to take a master plan approach to your edition so that you can lead your remodel with confidence whether you're doing just this one thing or whether this is phase one, a longer and more drawn-out master plan process. Of course, you can stick around till the end, and I will answer all your pressing edition questions and everyone else's live. It's going to be a gas. Will I see you there? All right. Next time on the podcast, let me save you from remodeler's regret. Do not call a contractor until you, well, tune in next week to find out. <laughs>